But I do want to talk about money this morning. We don't talk about money here very much. If you haven't been to CLF before, and you think, oh boy, here we go again, another church service talking about money, that's typically not what we do at all. And that's why I'm trying to take advantage of these two extra, these two dates that we have, just, just trying to let you know what the Bible has to say. And also let me say this, and, and advisory council, if you don't like this, we, we, we can change the, the decision. But just up here worshiping the Lord, I don't want anybody to think that we're manipulating anybody to give money today. Anything that's given in the offering today, anything, say that with me, anything, everything, say it with me, everything, everything that comes in the offering today will either go to benevolence or missionaries. None of it will come to the church, we'll get it outside of here, okay? So don't think for a minute I'm trying to manipulate you or get you to give or any building, nothing. No, 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 no. When we give to, is that okay, advisory council? Quick decision. I see thumbs up. <laughs> okay, all right. So that, we're going to do that, okay? So none of the offering today will go to the church to pay bills. We're going to give it away. Okay? We good? So you know that. Now that means you need to give more generously today than you've ever given before. All right, that's what that means. Let's talk about what the Bible has to say about money. The Bible has a lot to say about money. Let me give you some stats here that I got from Pastor Greg Lowry. He says that the Bible offers more than 2,000 verses on money. One in every seven verses in the New Testament deals with money. Money is the main topic of nearly half of the parables that Jesus told. And in fact, 15% of everything Jesus taught was on the topic of money and possessions. He talked more about money than he did about heaven and hell combined. Did you know that? Now obviously, just, just running through those statistics there, obviously what we think about money and the way we use money matters to God. Obviously. Martin Luther had this to say. He said there are three conversions a person needs to experience. The conversion of the head, the conversion of the heart, and the conversion of the pocketbook. And I think it's harder to convert that pocketbook than it is the head and the heart. Can I get an amen? Why is that? You know why that is? Because that paycheck you get every week represents your life, your time, your talent, your energy. So when you receive that check, it is in some small way a representation of your life, right? Unfortunately, the culture takes it to the extreme here, and that paycheck becomes your identity and your value. That's not true. Okay, let's get that straight. Your paycheck isn't your, what you're worth. That idea, sense of worth, that sense of identity ought to come from God, from Christ, right? And he says you're worth what? Everything, his life. That your life is worth far more than silver or gold. Your life is worth the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for you. But that paycheck, in some, to some small degree for us, represents our life. Forty hours of hard work using the time and energy that we had, we get this in return. And maybe that's why it becomes so precious to us that it becomes hard. We think that it comes, that it's ours. And that's the fallacy. None of it belongs to us. It all belongs to God. Even the breath we take, it's His, right? That He... Loans to us, if you will. Anyway, let me, let me get on. The most helpful passage I found, and, and I hope that you go home and read these two chapters from the Bible this afternoon. 
The most helpful Bible passage I've found on money, especially when it comes to giving money, are 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9 are the most, I believe, the most helpful Bible passages on money, particularly when it comes to giving money. So I want to turn there this morning and talk about some of the myths that surround an act of worship called giving. Let's talk about the myths of giving. If you will, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We're going to look at the, verse, the first seven verses of chapter 8. And I hope today to dispel some of the myths that we have about giving. Here's the context. Did you guys turn there? Here's the context, the, the, the context in which this letter to the Corinthian church is written. The church in Jerusalem, where it all started, the church in Jerusalem was in great distress. They were suffering from a depressed economy. They were suffering uh, from persecution by authorities in the city. These Jerusalem brothers and sisters, they lacked food, they lacked shelter, they lacked clothing. Many of their breadwinners had been put in prison. They lacked other necessities of life, and they were suffering because of their lack. Everywhere that Paul went, and you see him refer to it often in his letters, everywhere Paul went, he encouraged churches. The churches in Colossae and Philippi and in Rome and here in Corinth. He encouraged them to give, to give money to help ease the suffering that their brothers and sisters in Jerusalem were enduring for the sake of Christ. And Paul issued this challenge to the church in Corinth when he was there. And when he wrote, and you, you can read about it in 1 Corinthians, uh, he, he challenged them to give to this, to this suffering church in Jerusalem. But I want you to notice something as we dive into this passage and as you read these two chapters for yourself this afternoon. I want you to, I want you to notice the emphasis that he places on giving. He, Paul's emphasis isn't giving out of guilt because we have to. And his emphasis isn't giving with a grudge because we ought to. Instead, Paul emphasizes giving by grace because we want to. You've got to see that. You've got to see that this is the thread that runs throughout the New Testament. We ought not to give to the Lord because we feel as if it is a duty, an obligation, and if we don't, boy, He's going to get us. We give, the true motivation for giving is to give because we want to. Because of the grace that we've received from God, then by grace I will freely give. Because I recognize that I am what I am and I have what I have, not because of anything I've done, but because of what He's done for me and wants to do through me. Does that make sense? By grace. Not, not out of guilt, not because, you know, I got to. What Paul does in chapter 8 is he uses the Macedonian churches as an example of what giving by grace looks like. And in using the Macedonian church as an example of what, grace, of what giving by grace looks like, he dispels a lot of myths about giving. These myths had, had, uh, were affecting what the Corinthian church believed. These myths about giving they were using to justify their lack of giving. And I think that these same myths affect a lot of us today. A lot of God's people are affected by these same myths. But the Macedonian church just shatters all these different myths about giving. And we're going to talk about six of them today. 
So turn with me, if you will, 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 7. Let's read it together. It says this, And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. So we urged Titus, there's that name again, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for its clarity. I thank you for its simplicity and its power. And I ask you, God, to help us embrace this truth today, these principles today, and help us to excel not only in faith and in love, but also in this grace of giving. Help us to excel in every area of Christian life as your sons and as your daughters. And we'll give you the praise and the glory for what you're not only able to do in us, but what you're also able to do through us for the glory of your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as we go through these myths, I want you to, if you will, use them to examine your heart today to see whether or not you might be living by these same myths that the Corinthian church seemed to struggle with. Myth number one, only people with money should give. Myth number one, only people with money should give. Some people say that, the, that only those with real money should give. Let him do it. Let her do it. Man, if I had all their money, then I'd be generous with my money too. Only real people should give, they say, but that's just a myth. Paul said this in verse 2 about those Macedonian believers. He said they gave in the midst of their great trial. He said that they gave out of their extreme poverty. You see, the Macedonian church was struggling too. They were feeling the heat of financial stress. They were feeling the heat of a lack of resources themselves. They too, the Macedonians, suffered from unemployment and scarcity and, and shortages and money trouble too. But they didn't let their circumstances keep them from giving. The Macedonians destroyed the myth that only people with real money should give. And that's what, that was what the, what the sermon was about last week. The lesson in, in the, about the widow woman in Mark 12. Remember her? She only had two small coins to give, and it was all she had to live on. Her circumstances didn't prevent her from giving either. She gave out of her poverty, not out of her abundance. I don't know about you, I've made statements like this. How many times have you heard it? If I ever won the lottery, if I ever had a million dollars, boy, I'd be given to the Lord. Listen, this is one of those ouch truths. Listen, if God can't trust you to give out of what you have now, then why should he trust you to get out of your abundance then? Let me say that again because I, I stumbled. My mouth's getting dry. I'm talking about money. I'm nervous. Chris, would you get me some water, please? Seriously. I hate talking about money in front of a group of people, especially American people. 
We get so uptight about money. Maybe it's my problem. Maybe it's my issue. Would you just smile at me real quick? Smile. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Mama. <laughs> Look, let me say that again. If God can't trust you to give out of what you have now, then why should he trust you to get, give out of your abundance then? Let me just throw a stat out to you that I found as I uh, prepared this message. Statistics from 2015 say that people with a salary of less than $20,000 are eight times more likely to give to the Lord than someone who makes $75,000. Do you hear that? So if you're waiting for then to give, you ain't going to do it then either if you're not giving now. Okay? Thank you. Thank you, Jennifer. Thank you. For the, thank you. Myth number one. Only people with money should give. But I'm telling you, every story that we're told about generosity in the Bible is about those who didn't have giving out of their poverty rather than their abundance. The suffering Macedonians and the poor widow woman shatter that myth. The truth is this, we can all find a way to give. We can all find a way to give. Can I get an amen? Thank you. It makes me feel a little bit better. Myth number two. Myth number two about giving. It hurts to give. It hurts to give. Some say it's unpleasant to give. It's just too painful. They think they'd be happier if they kept all the money for themselves, but that's a myth. There is great joy in giving. The Macedonians, were told, gave from their overflowing joy. Verse 2 says, in the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Jesus himself destroyed myth number two when he said in Acts 20, 35, he's quoted as saying, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Now the reason so many followers of Christ have not experienced overflowing joy and blessing in their giving is simply because they've never practiced it. Don't fall for the myth that it hurts. The, you guys have been, you've sat around the Christmas tree on Christmas night or day or morning or whenever you open up your Christmas gifts. You as a parent can't wait for your kids to open up those gifts. And it brings such a smile to your face when they throw the gift away and start playing with the box. No, I'm kidding. That's what we, that's, did your kids do that too? It's like you spent all night putting this gift together for your child. They open it up and they throw that away only to play with the box. That, and the, anyway, that's my, anyway, sorry. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Micah. <laughs> the problem was it was last year, Micah. Uh, but you know the joy of giving a gift to somebody and their face lighting up. It brings you as much joy as it does them, does it not? Don't fall for the lie that says giving hurts. It doesn't hurt. It's a joy when you give. Don't fall for that myth. It's simply not true. The truth is it's a joy to give. It's a joy to give. Those who know what it is to live with an open hand to God know firsthand this overwhelming joy of giving. Givers know what it means to feel blessed when their giving brings glory to God. 
They know the delight it brings to God's heart when He sees His children giving freely. They see the difference God makes in the world when they give. As a matter of fact, you know why it brings us such joy? Because we are most like God when we're giving. As as His sons and daughters, we are most like Him when we open up our pocketbook and say, here, what you need? Take it. God bless you. If you've never done it, let me just say this, like the old commercial, try it, Mikey. You'll like it. Remember that commercial? Try it, Mikey. You'll like it. Myth number three. Giving will sap up all your resources. Giving will sap up all your resources. But that obviously wasn't the experience of the Macedonians when they gave. Verse 2 says their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. A lot of people are afraid to give because they think they won't have enough left over for themselves. They've bought into the myth that giving will sap all their resources. But here's the problem with that. They never factor in the supernatural when it comes to giving to the Lord. Jesus said in Luke 6, 38, Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Jesus destroyed myth number three when he took a little boy's lunch and fed 5,000 men with it, not including the women and children that were there too. In John 6, we, we read where it says, When they had all had enough to eat, Jesus said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. Look, that little boy, when he gave his lunch to Jesus, had no idea that there was that kind of potential in that lunchbox. He had no idea. He just gave what he had to Jesus. Jesus gave it to the disciples. The disciples passed it out to the people. The people gave back what they had left over, back to the disciples, and there was more than enough to meet the need. And I bet you the little boy ate like a king that day too. You know, the hose gets wet when the water passes through. In the same way, listen, you have no idea the potential that lies inside your wallet. God can take what you give and He can multiply it and He can use it to bless others in ways that you would not believe. And He'll take, He'll make sure that there's more than enough for you left over too. Most of us don't give because we simply don't trust God with our giving. Come on, it's a trust issue at its very heart. It's a myth to believe that giving will sap up all your resources. The truth is, giving unleashes the supernatural provision of God. You will never outgive God. Never. 2 Corinthians 9, 10 and 11 says this, For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. And in the same way, He will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. It's a trust issue, guys. It's a trust issue. Trust Him. Trust Him. Myth number four. Myth number four says, just give what you can. Just give what you can. 
that's not true either. 2 Corinthians 8.3 says this about the Macedonians. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and what? And even beyond their ability. Some people think you got to sit down, add up all your bills, and pay them. And I say amen to that. And then they say you ought to set aside money for incidentals, eating out, recreational activities, and vacations. And then, if there's anything left over, give a little bit of that to God. And these are the people usually who are the ones living out this myth of giving what they can, doing what they can giving God some of their leftovers with what they have. But listen, we do not live as the rest of the world. We do not live according to their economy or their financial planning. We live according to the economy of God and by kingdom of God principles. And in God's economy, God always comes first. Always. Always. He comes first. He's not last. God should always be the first priority in our financial plan, not the last one. Matthew 6.33 says it very succinctly. You ought to memorize the scripture if you haven't already. Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these other things will be given to you as well. It's a trust issue. At its very heart, giving for us is always a trust issue. When a person says, listen, when a person says that they should just give what they can, what they usually mean is they've made God an afterthought in their financial planning. That's an ouch moment. When we say just give what you can, we have made God an afterthought in our financial plan. The problem with that is that those who, who make God an afterthought will never experience God's miraculous provision in their lives. They'll never experience God doing in them and through them more than they could ever imagine. The truth is this. This is biblical truth. Put God first in your finances. Put God first in your finances. Put Him first in your giving, and He takes care of you. Proverbs 3, 9 and 10 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Trust Him. Trust Him. It's a trust issue. It really is a trust issue. Myth number five. Giving should be coerced. Giving should be coerced. Some say you can't get people to give without putting some pressure on them. You got to use a gimmick. You got to use guilt. Otherwise, people won't give if they're not feeling the squeeze. That's a myth. Look at the Macedonians. They prove the truth, and the truth is this giving is a privilege that flows best from a willing heart. Listen to the way the Macedonians were giving. They had, remember, they had nothing. The squeeze was on them. They were just trying to pay their bills. They were just trying to keep their heads above water. They too were suffering from lack and money problems. But it says in verse 3, entirely on their own, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. 
Those Macedonians were giving out of their own free will, not because Paul was putting a squeeze on them. They were, they were begging Paul, let us help. Let us help. Not because They were giving not because they had to or because they felt forced to. They were freely giving because they saw it as a privilege, not as an obligation. I hope that's the way you see your giving. If you ever feel us putting a squeeze on you, we're out of line. 2 Corinthians 9, 7 says this. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. You guys will come up to me and say, how much am I supposed to be giving the church? That's between you and the Lord. That's not a decision that I make for you. I can tell you what I give, and I can tell you how we decide what to give as a family, but I, I can never impose myself on you and my convictions on you. That's where you and the Lord have to sit down and work this out together. Does that make sense? For you must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. Why? Because God loves a person who gives cheerfully. He loves a person who gives cheerfully. And I hope that we here at CLF always present an opportunity for you to give to the Lord as a privilege and not an obligation or a duty. And I hope that you always see giving to the Lord as a joyful exercise of your free will, not as a result of being squeezed. We're about to get into a building program. And I don't want anybody feeling convicted because they're not able to give to the building program. Do I want you to give to the building program? Yes, hallelujah, because that means we can expand our capacity to help people. Do I expect you to? Will we come with a hammer and beat you over the head if you don't? Absolutely not. Decide in your own heart what you want to give. Today, when you go give that offering that it's going to be sent to missionaries and to benevolence, don't give because you feel like you've been guilted into it. You've been, the, pressure, the pressure's not on you. If you can't give with a smile on your face, then please don't give at all. Okay? I pray you always are able to give with a smile on your face. And Man, I have been part of some churches where the squeeze was on. I was part of one church where they would have these, they called them 90-10 Sundays. They wanted you to give 90% to the Lord and keep 10% for yourself to take care of your bills. Like, dude, man, how many people can reasonably do that? There was so much pressure put on people that they would, put, they would give and put it on their credit cards and pay interest on it and pay it off. No, 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 no. If you use a card on our reader back there, use a debit card. Don't use your credit card. No, let's, let's get this right. Let's get this right. Give because you have been given to. Give out of what you have. Don't give what you, you can't give what you don't have. Does that make sense? I know I'm probably raising more questions than I'm answering, and if you guys need to, uh, to engage me in a conversation after this, I'd be more than happy to. And boy, my mouth is really dry. Bill, next time you're doing the, the sermons on finances and money. Let's recap real quick. We've talked about five myths that the Macedonians just destroy as they serve us as examples on what it means to give by grace, 
Myth number one, only people with money should give. That's absolutely not true. Your circumstances should not keep you from giving. Myth number two, it hurts to give. Absolutely not true. Giving leads to overflowing joy and divine blessing in your life. Myth number three, giving will sap up your resources. Absolutely not true. Giving opens the door to supernatural provision from God. Myth number four, just give what you can. No, no. Put God first in your finances and He'll take care of the rest. Most of us don't think that way. We make God the tail, not the head. Come on, y'all. Myth number five, giving should be coerced. Never. Never, if you ever feel as if you're being pressured to give, whether it's coming from this pulpit or some other pulpit, don't give. Keep it to yourself. And give to, some, give to another ministry or, or some other, 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 uh, in, in some other way to honor the Lord. Giving should flow freely from a willing and generous and joyful heart. Okay? We're good? One more myth. One more myth. Myth number six, we already give to other causes. We already give. Some people today give according to the need of the moment. Here's a need, I'll give to it. Here's a cause, I'll give to that. But I want you to see that the Macedonians gave according to a very specific list of priorities. 2 Corinthians 8.5 says, They gave themselves, first of all, to the Lord... And then by the will of God also to us. Look, this is, this, is, this is really the heart of what Christian giving is. This is what Christian giving is all about. This is what makes Christian giving different from all other kinds of giving. Followers of Christ give themselves first to the Lord. Now we'll sometimes give to other causes... But we will never use giving to other causes as an excuse for not giving ourselves first to the Lord. I hope you follow me here in my reasoning. Why? Here's why. Because giving is first and foremost an act of worship to the Lord. Giving. As a matter of fact, everything we do is an act of worship to the Lord, or it ought to be. Let me put it this way. We don't give to a cause. When we give... We should never give to a cause. We give to a Savior. We give to a person. We give, as followers of Christ, as an expression of thanksgiving and worship to the one who gave himself for us. So when you give, you're not giving to a church. You're giving to the Lord. When you give to some other organization whatever organization it may be. You're not giving to that organization for a cause. You're giving to the Lord so He can use what you've given to glorify His name. It's all about giving to a person, not giving to a cause. That's why you need to make sure when you give, you give wisely. You give to someone that's going to further the cause of Christ, that's going to elevate and glorify His name in the, in the actions that they take. That's why we have chosen as a church when we have times of disaster to give to Convoy of Hope. We know that the giving there will be used most effectively. We know that they are among the first on the site of these tornado or storm-stricken areas. We know that everything they do will be done in, in, a, in a way of integrity and righteousness, and we know that whatever they do, it will glorify the name of Christ. That's why we choose Convoy of Hope. Now, you can give to whoever else you want to, but I'm telling you, you need to make sure that the money you're giving 
to whomever it goes to, is going to use it right. They're going to be effective in what they do, and they will glorify the name of Jesus as they do it. That's who we are as Christians. Everything we do is done in order to glorify the name of Christ. So we're very careful about who we give to, or ought to be. Unfortunately, I think a lot of us aren't. We just give to whomever because of the need, because of whatever. We don't think it through. We don't do, do some uh, investigation. Look, we give, every time we give, it's as an expression of thanksgiving and worship to the one who gave himself for us. 2 Corinthians 8 9 says it this way, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Everything we have has come from him. I need to make sure that everything I do glorifies him. The truth is, as Christians, we don't give to causes, we give to a Savior. We give to a Savior. And we don't give in grudging response to a need. And we, we give in grateful response to the grace shown to us by God who has given us His Son. Our giving is always done in order to, to honor the Lord as an act of worship to the Lord. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Now look, that doesn't mean that we're not going to financially support a political candidate or give money to the Humane Society, or support the fundraising efforts of our local school PTA. We, we'll do that in order to assist these organizations because they do good work too. And you should I'm not saying don't ever do something like that. I'm just saying think it through first and make sure this is the best way to give in order for the name of, of, of the Lord to be glorified. It also means that we, we're not going to steal from Jesus in order to give to these other causes. Okay, when you say you already gave to another cause, sometimes that justifies the reason you didn't give where it could have gone and been more, much more effective for the glory of the Lord. We have to give first to the Lord. We have to give first to the Lord. Our hearts and our lives and our wallets belong to Him, amen? All right, let me bring this thing home and let me get some water. You know what? Any questions? Any questions? If you have any, I hope that you will ask. In verse 7, we're bringing it to an end. Band, if you want to come back. In verse 7, Paul commends, he praises the Corinthians for several things. He says they're doing well. I mean, Paul gives them an attaboy and a pat on the back for outstanding achievements in several areas of Christian living. I'm going to kind of unpack this a little bit. He tells the Corinthians, but since you excel in everything, he says you excel in your faith. That means your trust in God goes so deep. You excel in speech. You have a way of preaching and explaining the gospel so well. He says you excel in knowledge. He said you know the word inside and out. He says... You excel in your complete earnestness. In other words, no one can match your passion and your enthusiasm for the Lord. He says, you excel in the love that we've kindled in you. He said, Paul's basically saying, I wish you would love everybody. I mean, I wish everybody would love like you love, Corinthians. 
But then he goes on to say, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. You know, this is my desire for CLF, and this is my desire, my own personal desire, not just for you guys, but for me too. I, I wish that we would all excel not only in our faith, and not only in our speech, and not only in our knowledge and in our passion and our love for God and one another, I wish that we would also set our hearts on excelling in this grace of giving. Not believing in myths and not letting those myths justify our reasons, our, our, our lack of giving, but believing in the truth, God's truth about giving. And here's why. A.W. Tozer, I, I've got to go to him before I close it out because this, this quote is so rich. We have to believe and have to live by God's truth regarding giving. A.W. Tozer said this, and this is something you may have to go home and think about a little bit. As base a thing as money often is, yet it can be transmuted into everlasting treasure. It can be converted into food for the hungry and clothing for the poor. It can keep a missionary actively winning lost men to the light of the gospel and thus transmute itself into heavenly values. Any temporal possession can be turned into everlasting wealth. Listen to this last sentence. Whatever is given to Christ is immediately touched with immortality. That's awesome. Whatever is given to Christ is immediately touched with immortality. We can spend our money on things that don't matter. We can spend our money on things that do matter. We can give to a cause or we can give to a Savior. And those are the two choices available to us.